Today on Time Out Coaching, we have one of the top British professional coaches in the country. Currently the head coach at Worcester Wolves, where he won the BBL Cup final last season. Please welcome Coach Matt Newby. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. Coach, great, great to, to have you on. I'm excited by a lot of the things that you've done um, and some of the things we're going to discuss. So let's get, as, as usual, let's get into it. How will you introduce the basketball? Um, you know, what was the, the first route for you to get involved in the game and then uh, subsequently on to coaching? So in terms of playing, um, I was very, very fortunate that I went to a, a very nice grammar school in North Yorkshire, in Nairsborough. Um, consistently Carnegie graduates and uh, teacher uh, trainees uh, would would be at the school. And one such graduate was Steve Mirrorfield, who uh, played in the British Basketball League. Um, so he walks in, uh, kind of shows the game to everybody. And suddenly there's like a club on three mornings a week where there's probably 40 or 50 kids from different year groups getting after it and you know he was a traditionally an exceptional role model great athlete and um he kind of got this bug in a in, in the school for, for the game right that's awesome and so subsequently you're at the school like all of us um you know we're in a situation where we're we're you know we've we've got this um love of the game where where did this you know where did spark this love of the game start to take you from there you know both for you know playing so you know you're at school you know eventually getting to university what what was the next situation after that so so the next step was uh, I, I played a little bit of junior national league um for leeds tigers uh, there was a gentleman called uh, claude mandawi very, very, very famous, very, very passionate, very, uh, very, very famous coach that um, doesn't probably get his props. But, you know, uh, I mean, uh, surely in the north and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, that that region, you know, was a was a name synonymous with junior basketball. Yeah, and he kind of showed me what uh, what it was to be central to a community because he he did everything. He was he was um, taking kids from the inner city in, in Chapel Town. And giving them opportunities uh, through sport, you know, and that that experience was um, was really really good for me because I was from a, a small market town, uh, and then I'm I'm going to a big city and and obviously far more diverse community, um, really really interesting place at the time, you know, inner city leaves was quite tough, but that's where you went and played basketball, and uh, I also went to a, a community college called Thomas Danby inside in 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 inner city leads as well and that's where i did my b-tech in sport that's how i got involved in community coaching um in hare hills and chapel town that's where i got all my base level qualifications claude was actually the tutor on my apprentice uh, coach at, at the time and it gave me real insight into uh, different different levels of coaching in terms of on a community level you know does that make sense so, yeah and absolutely. then Absolutely, Coach. One quick question I want to ask. I can't ask this to too many people. Um, at, at that time, um, Basketball England, really England basketball, um, was based in, in Leeds, in, in Batley. Batley, is that correct? No. It was uh, in Stan Stanley, uh, in this, Stanley in this like two, 
two-story two story building. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I only went there like one time. Are you uh, are you feeling that you know? Is that something that you were aware of? Um, did did that help any of the processes? Did you think that that was a good thing to have the governing body, you know, very close to what you know what you were doing, or was it just a non-factor in that respect? I mean, I didn't, I didn't really stay in at least. So I, I, when I was nineteen, I moved to Preston um, to to start university, and and I actually probably wasn't really that aware of the significance of the governing body being there. Um, although there were some very, very good people involved at the time. Um, obviously, um, uh, I believe Laszlo's tenure was probably in and around that that period uh, as well. Uh, but I'd I'd kind of only been there once, and that was to kind of register potentially register a, a team uh, of a group of guys in york that had got together to play and uh, at a time when there was there was still an under 23s competition because i hadn't made a decision on whether or not i was going to university where i was going to university and uh, that's the only that's the only visit i took at that time <laughs> right no that's a that's a that's just a really off the, off the beak interesting question um okay so now you go to preston and you know this is another interesting kind of scenario so you go to university what am i believing that's pre pre uclan it is uclan is that the no it, it was uclan um basically i applied for physical education at a number of institutions um made a decision not to go for different reasons and then um took a took a punt on a on a course through clearing i could have gone to lead uh what, what became leeds beckett leeds carnegie i could have done that um because there was still an offer on the table but i just wanted to go somewhere different for, for university so went to preston uh on a sports science course uh, that at the time was very generic they'd only just launched it it was the first year of it and there wasn't there was very few sports specialists involved in that uh, degree. So a mechanist was teaching biomechanics, a physiologist was uh, uh, taking the sports physiology um, lectures, and it just didn't have the bite that, well, it, it had no desire to be there, honestly, a lot, a, lot, a lot of the time. But fortunately, I got involved with the local sports development unit, and um, they gave me an opportunity to top up some of the qualifications uh, that I had. They gave me the opportunity to work in the community again. And on the back of that, um, we we established a small program called Preston Pride, which you know, Matt, I, I you know, I didn't know that fact until I think either we had that conversation or it came out in the podcast. I think it came out in in uh, in in the Hoops Fix podcast. I was blown away by that because you know, here's this you know this club that. Um, you know, I knew about, known about for a while and, you know, has some famous, you know, alumni to it as well. And here it is, it's, it's your, it's your baby, you know, it's an incredible, uh, situation. And it just, again, reinforces that when quality people are involved in basketball in our country, um, that they can really make an impact and do make an impact, but sometimes their legacy is even forgotten because, you know, I'm sure most people wouldn't know that you were actually there and that you would, that you had started that club. No, I was, I was really fortunate. It was, um, there was an elder statesman of the game called Phil Holden, uh, who originally was involved in Manchester United and um, Stockport Belgrade, and he was a, he was a physical education teacher in Penwitham. So he was probably a little bit of my first mentor in a way. Um, and I remember the first game. So we, we registered this team. We put in an under-14s team in the under-16s league. And um, 
Manchester Magic came to Preston College and kicked our ass 166 to 38. <laughs> and it was that it was a champ the champagne year. So it was, I think it was Alan Harris, the Joneses, you know, there's just golden generation. And you know, it was a time when probably the England team was was could have been a potentially 60% Manchester or something like that. But it, it was a good experience and um the the thing was all my peers were were phys ed teachers so you had like the you know the 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 old guard of of, of the northwest you had joe forber pete mintoff roy blake from blackpool jeff watson from bolton and all of them had been stalwarts of the the basketball community there so you know and so ian france in barrow as well so you had you had a good mal, game mal, every mal, game malcassen malcassen yeah yeah, yeah. And Mike Burton, obviously, down in Cheshire. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, this was this was a hotbed for basketball, you know, and not just um, producing, you know, high-level players, high-level teams, but there was a there was a concentration, like you said, of of high-level coaches, which I think is an important point. So at this time, then you, you're in this team, you're at university. Are you starting to think? that coaching could be something for you or was it just still a passion for you what what was the what was that process no i i it, it was definitely a, a passion for me um i was fortunate the the sports development unit supported me and just by a, i think i mentioned this on the podcast by a stroke of luck i i had to attend a, a child protection course to obviously go and coach and the person that took the child protection course was a guy called Hamish Telford at St Martin's Lancaster and they had a coaching degree and I was already a little bit disillusioned with a sports science degree at Preston sure. um, although it got better and it's now a great institution in terms yeah. of that and I, you I'm know part, uh, I'm part of that yeah, I know. so I, <laughs> I, I can't say anything bad about that at the moment so uh, no, no and 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 their coaching department's grown and so forth. but I, I went I went basically 20 miles north um, and did a combined honours degree in sports coaching and applied social science. And uh, I maintained my relationship in Preston with the sports development unit and the club and just continued to coach. Um, and, you know, basically worked bars on nights to make money and, and coached in the daytime that probably affected the value of my degree, really, but it, it, it was all a very good <laughs> experience. Yeah, awesome. Um, and around this time, you've talked about some of those people that are influencing you. Um, you know, talk to me about um, your your philosophy at this time. Was there anything that you were like, hey, I like how this coach coaches, you know, for argument's sake in America or, you know, you saw someone coach in, in the UK and you, you, you said, like, I want to be like this or were you just like finding your way? Um, because all the coaches you, you mentioned are all technically tactically astute people like really taught the game with a lot of detail yeah i mean and and because they were all born of of uh, you know the teaching profession so it was very very good to see those guys deliver they obviously had good pedagogy as a general rule they had good good delivery skills um I think each of them had their own way as well. You know, you could you could see that, that Joe and Pete were different to Mike Burton, who was different to Ian France, but they all 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 all, all of them philosophically had their kids playing hard, playing smart, um, and with a strong level of discipline. So I'd probably say that was probably one of the one of the key 
markers was trying to or aspiration to get to a point where you could match those teams and over a two three year period we became very very competitive you know and and we were vying for the the top uh, you know three or four positions in that league you know and um, i think you know after after i finished my uh, my degree I, I i was a little bit hungry for more so i i i kind of the last year i was in lancaster i wrote a load of emails to camps in the us and then uh, that was probably when i began to forge a little bit more of an understanding of the game because the influences were significantly different you know and you know i was out at five star or the hoop group camps and and just gleaming so much from from so many different people and, and and really fundamentally understanding that that basketball and sports performance specifically is a business you know and uh, the collegiate game certainly um is a business you know and that and, and that's what those camps were about they were about exposure they were about showing the best talent in the country to uh to the respective coaches you know yeah interesting though um that's absolutely correct but at the same time for a coach like you for a coach like me and any other british coach that was going there it was also just like a, a laboratory of learning these all these drills and um you know being able to coach like you know 50 games in a in a summer you know of, of camps where you would just be you know able to do substitution patterns and you know call timeouts and understand how to motivate different kids and you know for me you know it's something that actually i think that um maybe we're losing a little bit now i don't know how many of our best younger coaches are going and doing these type of camps or you know even potentially going even in europe and doing something like that because i think it's a it's a on-the-job training you know as it as it as it was I I agree. I mean, there's you know there's only so much you can do in the ac academic domain. In my in my opinion, uh, you have to you have to take what you're doing in the academic domain and then apply it and and on whatever level you know um, you you develop expertise by doing the job. You know that's the rea that's the reality of the situation, and yeah. you develop expertise by making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, what's the tra uh, after university? What? How? What's this next stage? Um, and and how do you get to this Leeds kind of situation? So I, I went back home. Um, you know, uh, university closing was a big deal for me. Um, there'd been some tough stuff for me personally, so I, I was kind of working out what the kind of what next was um, in my life. And I ended up driving white vans for a year, <laughs> sure. delivering furniture all around the country, um, listening to a lot of good music at the time, <laughs> and, and, and trying to contemplate in life. And then um, me and a, another person that was from the basketball fraternity in Leeds decided we'd, we'd try and set up a business. Um, we ended up, we, we ended up uh, coaching in primary schools. Um, delivering, um, you know, six to an 18 a week block of, of fundamental skills, developing the game. And we, we ended up working with all the school sport partnerships in Leeds. That, that kind of gave me a little bit of a reputation in the city in terms of just being involved in basketball. Claude was still there and ever present with the Leeds Tigers, but um, we were doing a lot with the local authority and, and, and the community. And um, 
the job came up at Leeds, uh, Leeds Metropolitan University. They wanted a 50-50 split in terms of the role. It was like a, a community basketball outreach um, individual and uh, an individual that could uh, develop a performance program. And that's that was uh, the job that I applied for and, uh, and got. Wow. Okay, that's fantastic. And so, you know, let's let's talk about um, this this Leeds University situation. Because basically, I mean, you know, it wouldn't be. I think it's fair to say you took something that wasn't there and built it to, you know, to one of the top, you know, if not the top program in the country. Um, you know, let's talk about some of those steps and 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 what were some of the things that happened along the way and some of the people, key people that were involved. I mean, I think first and foremost, it it was fortuitous that the the university and the vice chancellor at the time wanted to use sport as a vehicle to promote the institution. You know, um, some people were always critical of that, but you know, sports embedded in education all over the world. But sometimes, again, in the UK, we struggle with uh, the performance aspect and actually investing in performance, and the and the institution chose to do that. Um, there was a, an exceptional director of sport called Malcolm Brown, who was um, Dan Kelly Holmes's uh, running coach. And uh, he also uh, coached the Brownlee. So that's the guy that's at the top. Wow. You know, I had a very, very strong sports development manager in a guy called Ian Smythe. And then they built this that like community of um, sports coaches. I was the youngest one appointed at that time. So in, in my office, you know, I had... Uh, Jack Maitland, the Bramley's uh, triathlon coach, Colin Stevens, who was a former British Lion, uh, Paul Fletcher, who was a former Leeds Rhino, and the most successful um, coach in rugby student rugby league. Uh, Graham Potter was in there, uh, who's now in the Premiership managing Brighton, obviously. And um, John Hall, who was a like a, an exceptional FA educator. So I'm this young coach. And I, I do things, I'm doing things my way, but I've got this, this quite big resource, quite rich resource of wow. experience. And, and that was probably the secret to the success of not just the basketball program, but at the time uh, we went from in the twenties in, in university sport to being third yeah. in like three or four years. So, you know, only being outdone by Loughborough and Bath. But the you know obviously the metrics in terms of books points, it's advantageous if you've got um, huge athletics or huge swimming programs because they can accrue lots of points. So sure. I think we we accrued a lot of our points in team sport, you know, right. and uh, and and that that was, you know, that was where the success probably came from in terms of that department. But obviously they were trying to re-promote the heritage and history of of Carnegie as a physical education institution, the Carnegie School of Sport it was developing a very, very strong uh, coaching um, fraternity in terms of, uh, you know, really, really serious big hitters in terms of sports coaching as an academic discipline. You know, Pat Duffy was there, John Lyle was there for a time, you know, all these guys that you read the books of, on your, on your coaching degrees were passing through either as guest lecturers or being part of the faculty. And two of my assistants uh, over the years were Bob Muir and Dave Piggott. And they, they're they leaders right now, you know, both consult for 
uh, Olympic sports or or the FA respectively. Yeah. And so I had this kind of nice blend of um, an academic sounding board. Now, whether or not I listened to it at the no. time, um, just consistently listened to it. Were you, um, you know, a couple of questions on this unique uh, situation. Were you getting out to watch those coaches in action, you know, about, you know, rugby, football, whatever it was, um, to see, you know, some of the things? And then secondly, in the office, was there a lot of like questioning and, you know, how do you do this? How do you approach, um, you know, dealing with an athlete for argument's sake? You know, was that was that the type of stuff that was going on? Yeah, and and on on a on a regular basis as well, you know, and and that's an that's the one thing about building a culture or a fraternity or an identity. You want like-minded people sharing ideas. Um, you want like-minded people um, sharing their experiences. You know, because coaching's not an easy gig. You know, and you can have some very big highs and you can have some significant lows. And actually. Sometimes just having somebody that's gone through that, whether that's uh, you know coach-athlete relationship, uh, wins and losses, good practice, bad practice, good game, bad game, you know, um, that was probably the the nice thing to have that sort of support mechanism. We we did we did share practice. Sometimes we took sessions for each other as well. You know, um, I don't think it was formal and frequent. It was you know you normally pull in somebody or can you come and look at this? And um, there was that sort of sharing of style, philosophy, um, approaches. And actually, there's some nuances of team sports that cross over, isn't there? Absolutely. So, you know, you're organization, sort of, yeah, talking, you know, how, how, how coaches, you know, talk to, to players, um, you know, certain, some drills. I mean, I, I know in, you know, rugby and rugby league, I mean, I don't care what they say. They still, they still about 50% of their stuff from basketball, just watching basketball practices. Um, but at the same time, we also can see some of the things that they do and see if there's some, you know, ability to replicate in our sessions. So absolutely believe, believe in that. Um, there's so much crossover. I mean, I was doing that um, in various places, first at Newcastle with the Falcons. And and then uh, when I was at Everton, we were we were semi-linked to Warrington Wolves as well. So it's, it's always those type of things are, are great, you know, to be able to like, you know, get, get some sort of cross understanding and, and see if there's anything there. Um, so, so now, now you're in this incredible environment. Um, how are you building the basketball, um, programs? Um, you know, talk to me about, um, you know, am I right in thinking that you were, you were one of the first to start thinking about, you know, scholarship programs and, you know, like what, how did you go about that whole process and, uh, what, what, what was, what were your mindset about building that program? I mean, we were fortunate that we were given the opportunity to offer a, what would be a true scholarship. So that would be support against their academics, um, some accommodation um, and a level of bursary or, or a food card, for example. So there was an opportunity then to go out and recruit to a certain level. Um, getting the best domestics would always still be very, very difficult. Although we had some success with some young domestics that weren't necessarily on the on the radar at the time, 
Um, so we obviously looked west in terms of um, US scholars, postgraduate scholars. Um, and through my connections from the camps in the US, we kind of went in a certain direction. We went with division three schools where kids would traditionally be academic anyway. Um, and we knew that they were coming from programs where the expectancy wasn't super high in terms of, um, I guess, the environment, if that makes sense, because there isn't a comparison between a division one school and a, a domestic situation, irrespective of what, of what anyone says. And you know, it, and that, you know that, I know that, but some people don't know that. Um, and then we also looked east. Uh, Laszlo Nemeth was a consultant for the LTA at the time. He was working in Leeds. Absolutely. And he became, became a consultant to the university. And I'd, uh, the only time I'd seen Laszlo prior to that really was um, the BCA clinics. I'd, I'd gone and watched him down in Birmingham. Um, I'd sat next to him when the Giants uh, won down in, uh, at the NIA. Uh, when Jason Swain was playing and um, I'd sat next to him and all, all, all I heard was this monologue of, of what he felt was wrong with the game. I, I, I randomly ended up with my ticket next to his. He won't, he, he doesn't know that actually, I don't think at the time. And then I'd obviously seen him present and he's an intense individual with just a brilliant mind, not just for basketball, but for education and the nuances of education. But he, he took a, he took a, um, was out to Hungary and we recruited some pretty high level kids uh, from Hungary for both the men's and the women's program. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just a, a lovely situation. We got to see Budapest, we went down to Page, and it, it was, uh, and I learned a lot just from the conversations there. But he was very, he was integral to that, um, that recruitment aspect at the time. And we ended up with a kid called Zoltan Shapola, who was probably one of the best kids in the country, BBL or EBL, honestly, but uh, people didn't necessarily give him that level of credit. He's still a professional in Hungary now. So he got his undergraduate degree, he got his master's, and he's, he's a pro. Right. You know, he went back to Albacom and, um, and, and went from there. Yeah. Um, at this time, uh, is your philosophy just to build a Bucks program, or are you trying to, have you, what was the time scale? you know, with regards to Bucks and then moving into like Leeds Force and, the, and, a, and a team that would start, you know, take over, you know, EBL? Um, well, no, it was from the start. So the from day one, they, they, they were accepting of the fact that to attract young domestic players, student athletes, then there would have to be a secondary level of competition uh, on offer and not well not secondary in terms of level but they had they'd have to be another outlet so we started in books one and division four and got automatic promotion to the premiership and then uh, automatic promote not automatic we earned promotions in the national league and went from division four to division one in as many years as it took yeah you know it took yeah it was like three years it, it, three, anyway, yeah. we were right there and um Books at the time was beginning to blow up. There was the Worcester program was the the forerunner at the time. Um, you know, a lot of talent was coming in from the US to complement uh, their 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 BBL aspirations at the time. There was uh, London South Bank was very very good. 
Uh, Loughborough were were decent. Um, they went a bit up and down at times, but they, they were very good. So the the British universities and colleges competition at the time was it was it was hot. Yeah. Um, and you know, from a uh, philosophical point of view, so um, now you're coaching. You know, like they're they're, they're not kids. They're now you know they're 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 you know young adults. So this is you know elite performance now. What are you you know you said you know I love the the building blocks of you know competition and hard work um, and being smart. Um, what about from a tactical perspective? Perspective had you changed? Were you were you start? Were you you know had you expanded anything from there? obviously you'd been in America and also in Europe um, I, I, I was I was learning on the job as a young coach really I was very fortunate to be in that position at the age that I was because I was a point when I was 27 so um, so philosophically I was still evolving I suppose right. and we all, we're all still evolving aren't we but I probably took some very hard and fast rules from the influences from looking west you know what I mean so you know what's non-negotiable, you know, you know, like obviously communication, hard work, you know, all, all, all these like kind of buzzwords that are emblazoned on every every locker room in, in the world, you know what I mean? Or certainly in, in the NCAA. So there was probably quite a strong influence from the West. And and I was very I was very hard hard nosed at the time in terms of uh, probably well, not 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 a lot was negotiable, actually. <laughs> you know, this, is the, this is the way I would like us to play, and if you don't want to play this way, then yeah, which works works to an extent. But sure. I probably learned a lot from the young men that came through the program at the time. Well, you know, also, also that was a different era. You know, that worked. You know, there were many coaches that coached um, with you know a very you know firm and. Um, you know, absolute, you know, my way or the highway attitude and, you know, those type of things um, back then, because most of the younger people were programmed to accept that, you know, now it's a little bit different. So, um, so what was the, you, you know, you're having massive success, you're having success in bucks, you're having success in EBL. When did you start to get this, uh, the BBL kind of, you know, plan and what, what was the process with regards to that? I mean, it was, it was part of the original intention of the program from almost its inception that we try and climb the ranks um, as quickly as possible. Um, you know, performance was central. We wanted to um, play at the highest level. Uh, you know that, that we could that was realistic um, and that that aligned a lot a lot with um, the aspirations of the institution at the time and and so we got to this point where we were in division one we'd been successful uh, at division one we we'd been amongst the top teams at the time um, you know reading reading stops us from getting a, a couple of trophies one year we won the national cup one year and we won the playoffs in 2014, obviously. Um, and we put the we put the bid forward based on where we thought the institutional backdrop was, and um, you know made the application. It was accepted. They were pleased with not just the, the proposition in principle uh, for the senior team, but a lot of the work that had been done in the community and the development of an academy and and, and so forth. So. There was a lot of 
there was a lot of pieces in place um, that validated the, the the application, and uh, and we put it in, it got accepted, and then unfortunately due to the, due to due to changes in institutional backdrop, um, the year that we were due to go in, um, we had to change our position. Um, we lost the institutional support, um, and then and uh, tried to make make a make a go of it as as an independent entity with a relationship with the university if that sure. makes sense so sure, yeah. um and you know the first couple of years were decent um you know to go in and win um i think we took nine ten games the first year and then uh did pretty pretty well the second year we made the playoffs obviously um so you know it it, it wasn't um it wasn't not a success, but unfortunately, without the infrastructure um, or partners with infrastructure, it became very, very difficult to um, to continue. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a real shame, especially considering you'd conceived this idea and built this whole program and, um, you know, for, you know, uh, that that main funding stream and, and support whole structure, you know, just to be taken away at the most crucial time. Um, and again, uh, much like Birmingham, um, but you know, obviously, Birmingham has even more history. You know, it, it's it's criminal that a, 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 a city the size of Leeds does not have a you know frontline you know team you know professional team playing. I mean, that's something that um, is is disappointing. I mean, it's something that we we as a sport have got to got to deal with. Just going back, um, you know, inbox and also just trying to get pin pin down. Um, a little bit you know what you were doing um tactically you know from a from a basketball perspective um you know were you um if I, you know talk to me about you know your defensive philosophy and your offensive philosophy at that time i mean it was very probably very very traditional you know hard nose strict rules one type of coverage pick and roll you know um you know very much individually accountable um not not the not necessarily the uh, the nuances of like switching or multiple coverages in terms of pick and roll. Um, was never really his own person. Was never really um, hard full court pressure person at, at the time. Although, if 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 there was a necessity to yep. do so, but but I don't think he played any any zone defense other than inbounds in Division Two. That's it. I, that's, I, can't, I can't, that's the only thing I can remember. Right. And and maybe like uh, when we were struggling with with injuries, I think we kind of went went to a like a series of junk defenses just to sure. just for like a three or four game period, just you know box <laughs> box someone, triangle and two, and then. Two, three, just you know, just consistent, consistently in rotation. That was kind of one of the one of the points that kind of that there was just a significant change, but by virtue of the, the situation. And then offensively, probably started off with again, this is America thing, but the idyllic sort of Princeton way and a passing offense. And then you kind of realize, well, the Princeton was designed. For an era and a shot clock that affords you to break yeah. a team down <laughs> over, yes. over thirty plus seconds, exactly. and then yeah. Yeah. when you when you try and 
you know, get to that aspiration in 24, although, although, although the values and principles of that specific way are excellent, it, it's, it's probably difficult to get to the, uh, the aspiration that you had originally. So it's, it's funny um, though. It's funny because, um, you know, so many entries and so many of the actions now, you know, uh, come out of some of that, of some of the, the Princeton principles, you know, like the back cutting, the, the handoff, you know, the, the respacing. I mean, this is like where the game is in this day and age. So it's so funny how things come full circle. I mean, I'm seeing so much, um, you know, like, you know, originally like, you know, shuffle stagger was such a big set, you know, in, in the two thousands. Um, but now there's a lot of shuffle kind of screening, but even from further out because now so much space and you can get some easy cuts to the basket these things all come around you know flex actions you know pin down actions all this other stuff this is back you know it, everything has an e evolution but um it is it is ironic you say that that's great stuff um one quick question i want to ask about the zone um when you say that you didn't play zone it's good because it's great it's a really interesting point um is that is there something that in the in in your background that that put you to that you know like hey um we should always be really good in man to man or it was you know is, is there any reasoning behind it yeah, part part of it's like it was a was just a, a pride thing because you kind of like when you grow up I, and i you know I, i'm thinking about the the sort of northwest times there was probably only a couple of coaches there that would have played zone or there was a lot of like Manchester would press you for as long as, as they could, you know, and play very, very hard nosed, half court, um, man to man as a general rule. And only, only drop something in like that as a, as a change up, maybe on an inbound, just to, just to change the, the look. But also I think it was just a level of confidence yet. Cause I think, I, th I think the way sometimes people uh, look at a zone uh, defense is that it's an easy fix and you set your alignment up and this is what you do. And, and at the time, I just genuinely wasn't confident enough bluffing it. I didn't, I, 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 I didn't know how to teach a 131 to the level that I wanted to teach a 131. I didn't. Oh, this happened last time. Sorry. Like. <laughs> Apologies, the saving money. I've forgotten <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, no, great stuff. Um, now, between, I want to just discuss between Leeds and Worcester. Let's let's not. There's two. There's one thing I really want to talk to you about, which is, um, you know, stuff that you were doing. You know, kind of like say it's off court, but um, you know, the camp programs that you you put together. You you were the coach that brought um, five star to the UK. And you were the coach that also brought, brought Red Star to the UK. Um, can yeah. you talk? I mean, that's you know two iconic basketball brands. Um, talk about that. That's that situation. So uh, the five star relationship had obviously been long standing, and I was fortunate that um, Lee Klein was uh, willing to to take a punt on bringing the camp to the UK. They'd already done some stuff in Australia. They'd been out to Turkey and China. Um, and obviously I'd worked with them for, for a long time. So I, you know, we talked about it and joked about it. And, um, you know, because 
there is logistically there's a lot to do to to kind of make these things happen and then they said well do you want to give it a go and we did and i think the first three years you know there was maybe 150 to 175 kids benefiting from great coaching what is uh, you know well, you know the five-star model it's very intense you know the the, the stations and, and and the program were um really well put together as you would you would picture and we had like some pretty serious coaches come over you know like we had pete gillen who was former xavier and virginia coach uh, uh mitch bonaguero who was at siena and um, we had scott adabato come over um bobby gonzalez came over so you know these are like division one legends and um they came and they were kind of the senior coaches on camp and we would bring over what you would consider the regular regular five star guys that are very normally very strong high school coaches or guys that have, have been with five star for a period of time and then one of my aspirations with the five star camp was to give as many young domestic coaches the opportunity as possible so if you look at the pictures from the first three three to five years you've got mark stewart all in the mix alan Keane came up you know uh josh merrington uh, who else there's a whole bunch Craig Nickel, uh, Troy Cully. So all these guys um, came hang out, Mark Stewart. Uh, did I say Mark already? Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, so th those guys were all coming down. And A, they were young and ambitious. B, they lent so much to the environment themselves. And C, they took something away from the environment, whether that was the coach's clinic at the beginning of the week where they did the, the the lead guys from the US would share ideas or it was working together. And there's there's a little bit of a, a generation there that have come up and I think most of them took GB jobs or England jobs. So, yeah. so that's quite 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 nice. Um born of their own work ethic and you know under their own merit, you know, I must say, but it was it was nice to 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 see those guys grow up within the British basketball community. Um, and then, um, unfortunately, you know, things started to go into in a different direction in the US in terms of camps. We, we still had aspirations of doing it, but um, we took a we took a decision not to to return camp that year. Whilst whilst things have been moving um, with with the youth program in Leeds, uh, kind of built quite a, a strong but small academy. Um, we forged a link with uh, Red Star Belgrade. Um, I think you probably know, I don't know if you do know, but a couple of British, young British coaches went out there. Um, I think Mandy um, got got them out there because she she had a relationship with them. So the, uh, one of them was Gary Carter. He'd worked five star for me. Right. And he, he'd asked if I wanted an introduction to take a team there. And we had a very good generation of kids. So we had quite a few national teams players at the time. And I wanted to test them, so we took them out to Belgrade. Um, it was the time we went out; it was fortuitous. We ended up when there when the Swiss had a training camp, the Romanians had a training camp, and Denmark had a training camp. National teams. So we had City Leeds Basketball Academy going head to head with these <laughs> three national teams. And to be fair, we did all right in two of the games, and then uh, and then uh, the, the Danish whose generation was very strong that year. They, they went forwards, but it was a good experience for the kids. And then just by virtue of that trip, um, 
we had conversations with the senior leadership of the Red Star Sports School. Um, I said, would there be an interest in potentially exchanging um, and, and, and doing something in the UK? And they they said they agreed to it. We 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 set it up and they, they came over and uh, and got that going. And obviously, uh, significantly different in approaches. Sure. Yeah, and you know the the level of detail and the teaching is good from from both quarters. But um, well, you've, you've you've worked with serves yourself. You know, they, they, there's just just this incredible eye for what's what's right what's wrong and and there's a reason that a, a nation of seven million produces consistently the best players in the euro league best coaches in the euro league and so on yeah some of the best coaches in the world exactly yeah that's a it's a great um debate that i you know am going to to you know propose very soon about you know what what is it that um you know that uh, they do as a nation with such a small small dynamic but i'm sure as you spent quite a bit of time in belgrade when you're there um you're just immersed in a basketball culture um and that's something that i think is so so important i mean um i've experienced that very luckily you know also in places like the philippines where you know everything is geared to one sport and um, a little bit like it is with our with our country to foot to, to football soccer um where, where we're so devoted to the game you know it's it's part of our culture um obviously there's a break you know and you're you're running this academy and uh junior teams in leeds um let's just move on to 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 how the worcester situation came about because i want to talk a lot about that you know what was what was different so um you know it's almost two years ago now what what was the process with regards to that and and then you know once you were appointed what was your mindset going into that job yeah um so the the job obviously was advertised um they'd had a couple of um uh, tough seasons i think you know and specifically um the last year uh, you know ty unfortunately was poorly and then obviously um you you came in to close the season um the job came up and me personally, it was sort of quite a tough one to kind of go in on it. I because because obviously how things had finished at Leeds were pretty tough. Um, I'd had two years working, um, you know, with youth and in the community. Whilst I was still at Leeds Beckett on 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 a on a small contract, uh, still trying to drive some level of uh, of a books program, but. Um, it came up and I, and I kind of wanted to prove a little bit of something to myself and and in a way um, prove something to a certain aspect of the basketball community as well. Listen, being honest with you, we, we, yeah. um, I, I, I tried to explain this to a few people um, that, that we've talked, you know, we, we've had like nearly 30 you know, really good coaches for through this series, but you know, ultimately, um, you know, you 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 get involved in sport to win, 
you're trying to win or you're trying to develop players, but you're trying to win. It is a competitive game. And, but I also say like players, you know, as coaches, you've got to have some, you know, like I, I, I would always want to beat fab or, you know, beat like some of my greatest belief, you know, uh, wins were against Chris Finch. You know, I'm happy to be able to hold my hand up and against Nick, you know, like I beat these, uh, these NBA coaches, um, you know, you've got to be able to, um, you know, drive yourself that way. And I'm really happy you say that because I do sense um, without fully asking you, you know, even offline that there was a motivation to prove, like you say, um, the basketball community or the basketball public or where, however you want to describe that, that you're one of our best coaches. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting way. So in saying that, how did you go about it um, once you got the job? What was the things that you you went in there and said, I'm changing from how I did it originally? Was there, or you just said, I'm going to stay good to, to, to what I've done in the past? I mean, you, you should be consistently evolving, right? Um, but there's, there's, there's certain things I think you probably keep. You know, the, you know, you've got to try and be true to yourself. So if there's certain things that do work, you know, whether that's how you approach a player, whether it's the design of your system, whether it's whether it's the culture and identity of the program or the players that wear, wear the vest um, that you have the tenure over, then then you, you need to ensure that you uh, back yourself on that and, 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 and trust it, you know. And then if things don't work or if things things do need adjusting, then you've got to be professional enough to, to to make those changes. But the reality was I was I was given a very, very good opportunity. Um the the management were were very good in, in giving me ownership of the recruitment, giving me ownership of of what the product looked like on the floor. And that first year, you know, I'm more comfortable working with younger players. That's that's who I am. So younger coming players, I tend to have good relationships with. I I I I think I get them. I think I understand them. And um, from a recruitment perspective, there's nothing better than working with guys that have something to prove. And I, I guess that was probably in that first season. There was, you know, a number of guys that had something to prove in different ways. You know, uh, when guys get overlooked in recruitment or they come out of a smaller school or um, they're a domestic guy that's never, you know, uh, necessarily received the credit that they deserve, then then you've got um, the perfect ingredients for a team that are the very least competitive, the very least, uh, but ideally motivated to, to, again, prove people wrong and, and, and move forward. And, and did you... Did you, did you, you know, what would, what did you do last year, um, last season, and then, you know, taking it into this season from a tactical perspective? Was there some things, some things you changed, um, or were you keeping it, you know, um, you know, fairly consistent to your, to your, to your philosophy? I mean, it's quite funny because some, like some of the players in the league, some of the coaches, you like, this is Matt. He's run this for a decade. You know, um, yeah, I've run it for a decade, but it still works. So, you know. Let, let's let's be let's be right about it. Um, or, or or alternatively, when you look at your personnel, then what you've run, you might need to tweak. Or, I mean, I have to I have to say, like in terms of recruitment, there's 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 probably a certain DNA of a player that I want. 
and there's a certain skill set that you want and you know they've got to be able to contribute in, in, in different quarters and not necessarily play my way but understand um how i how i see it you know does that make sense and then and then i, I mean i'm a big believer in creating a, a platform for the players offensively that they enjoy and they get a return from you know um i mean on a basic level an offense is you know something to create an advantage for guys to finish the play if, if i'm really being honest about it yeah. you know and they can create an advantage extended advantage and maintain that advantage till the best outcome then then that's a good offense yeah you know now there are players that can create their own advantage and just just do but you know they're they're very very special um defensively last year we we probably switched a lot more than we did we have done this year um although we still switch within the uh within uh, the interior and the perimeter uh, but not necessarily across unless it, it it's sure. late clock or or unless the 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 three for example is a, a good size so if it's dosh and jordan for example this year then we, we afford that at different times right. um but i think i think i've been reasonably consistent over the over the uh, past few years this year's been a bit more interesting because the season's been dissected into two really because I can have the grand designs that I have, but unfortunately, for genuine reasons, we didn't um, we didn't have our full roster till Christmas time. Yeah. So some of some of some of the grand design had to be adjusted, and some of some of, some of, some of the, the games that we played and the way we played, we had to we had to do things in a different way. But um, on just, the whole, I kind of I kind of stick to my guns. I'm just trying. Yeah, I'm trying to get an understanding. So. You know, you don't feel that you radically changed, you know, from, say, the Leeds, you know, top teams in the Leeds era, you know, to now. Um, and you, you know, it's now it's a situation where you obviously were given, you know, a much better budget um, with, you know, really good basketball conditions, you know, being able to practice and, um, you know, the strength conditions, you know, side. Is that is that correct? Or you think that, you know, you did evolve, especially with the recruiting process? I think I think the recruit the recruitment process was was different because the budget is is significantly different. Yeah. Um, so the quality of player that I could potentially access was higher. So I had to be more diligent in terms of that. And obviously, you know, I used yourself as a sounding board. I used some trusted um, friends in the basketball community as as a sounding board. But I, I'm still looking for. I guess in terms of the player's DNA, I'm looking for the same type type of person to start mm. with. Interesting. You know, somebody that understands that you have to to survive in basketball, that you've got to have a great attitude and aptitude for learning, you know, that you can't be arrogant, ignorant, or apathetic. You know, you don't want that. Those are not traits that are attractive to a coach. Sure. You know, um, in terms of their skill set, you know, obviously. When you're shopping for a player you want the highest return on that investment but if there's super strengths to a specific player and they suit you systematically whether that's defensively or offensively then you know you'll take a point on them and um 
I, th- I don't know. I don't think my values have changed too much, you know, in terms of uh, who I want to work with. Does it? Does that make sense? Sure. You know, we we had some we we had some significant overachievers in these. You know, guys that came out of London that you know, um, good basketball pedigree, but you know, they they came and they were outworked everybody else. You know, and 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 th- those are the kind of those are the guys that you want um, on your side, aren't they? <laughs> you know, those those are those are the guys that you want in your jersey, not theirs. So. Yeah, definitely. No, that's awesome. Um, just very quickly on on what's the this talk about the cup final run last year. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's 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 not easy. Um, you know, at any time to win something, you know, let alone where you go in, you know, you have to recruit a team from scratch and then play in your first season. Um, just talk a little bit about that process and, you know, how it felt um, being able to, you know, to, 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 to lift that trophy in your first season there. I mean, the, the, the cup win was a big deal for a number of reasons. One, I think I said it before, like there was some level of vindication for, uh, maybe some hard yards for, and um, it meant a lot to me personally and my family. Um, but I think the success was the the development in 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 the young group that we had, and the growth in confidence. You know, in the build up, in it, you know that we we I believe we took the hardest route to the to the Absolutely. final. You know, um, we had to match up with Newcastle. You know, uh, we had to match up with with Leicester. And, you know, you've already alluded to it, that in terms of the big wins, a game against Rob Patanastro and the Leicester Riders is, is as tough as it gets in this league right now. Totally. Because of the depth of the team, the experience of the coach and so forth. So, you know, when, when you've taken on uh, the likes of, uh, you know, Ramon, Fletcher, Darius Defoe, and the like in the uh, in the quarterfinals, and then in the semifinals, you know we we managed to beat Leicester over the two games and take them on the home court, which is a rarity in this yeah, league. At I this mean, moment in time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, we don't have a very good, you know, and this is not not disrespectful, but we don't have a very good basketball press in respect to we just don't have like people that really can tell a story. And, you know, that was one of the great, you know, wins um, against, you know, a powerhouse team that was potentially would have won the, you know, would have won the league or the playoffs. You know, they were definitely going towards that way last year. Um, with a great coach, a great setup. And um, again, that does, that, I'm happy that you won the final because that's the story. But, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I'm about to write something about me beating Newcastle um, 11 years ago to, you know, in the semifinals before we won the playoff championship. And that was one of the greatest wins in my view that we had uh, that, that in a two-leg final. We'd absolutely crushed them by nearly 40 points. And that was when, you know, they were coming off of winning, you know, unprecedented amount of trophies so I, I i totally get where you're where, where you are on that um the final itself um you know was there um, anything that you you know that stands out from a tactical point of view or um from a basketball perspective or or, or everything went went to plan uh, well i think it, that you know that was a good advertisement for british basketball in itself you know bristol a restored uh, franchise as well you know and i i basically grew up on the same path 
or a similar path to Andreas in terms of, you know, going through the ranks, going through the leagues. So that was always going to be a game that was personal to both of us. Um, and when you know somebody that well in terms of, I guess, how they prepare teams, what they do offensively and defensively, it, was, it was, wasn't just about the X's and O's because, again, the, they were well-versed, you know. It was probably down to, you know, who, who showed up on the day as individuals and a, as a collective uh, and, and stuck with the game plan. And, and, and I think both teams did because it was a well-fought game. You know, it was a low, probably, probably a, a low-scoring final in contrast to a lot, um, a lot that have uh, gone before it. And, well, you know, it's, I, it's, it's not an easy place to play in, you know, and, no, uh, and, and, and the rings are like rock as well. That's what everyone forgets. Those rings, those rings and backboards only get played on like once or twice a year. And so they're, they're, that's one of the things we used to always argue about is, you know, myself and people like Rob, you know, we don't get enough time to practice on those, on, on, the, on those, on those rings. And then secondly, they're not played on. So any type of like, missed layup just bounces off like crazy so yeah it's uh it's a tough one i mean there was some very obviously there was some very strong individual performance Amir did a great job but i think it, it, it was it was a team coming into into form if that makes sense that, sure. that, like say that they'd begun to trust each other and that's not easy with a young team and you know a season's relatively short you know and, and you've got to do a lot early to try and ensure that your team at that juncture in the season is is rolling because in our league the the trophy and the cup precede the close of the close of the league and 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 the playoffs mid-season you know normally within about a month or so of each other so there's two pieces of silverware that you that you that you're chasing concurrently with the yeah with the league and <laughs> with the leagues yeah. so um which is you know interesting in itself but i you know i, I generally it was an enjoyable day uh, like i say it was one that was very personal to me and i've got some very fond memories and, and i'm very very thankful for each of the players and their application in that season because it was a young group it was a new group and um they were incredibly professional mm. Just very quickly talk about what is a typical week for you. Um, you know, what, what, what's your practice methodology, uh, methodology um, you know, going into a game, say the game is for argument's sake on, I guess, Friday, you know, and uh, you, maybe you played on Saturday. What, what, Sunday is a day off. Monday, what, what's, how, does, how do you normally operate? I mean, this this season we have not 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 pre <laughs> pre pandemic pre pandemic yeah pre pandemic it's, it's been wild um, yeah. yeah we've we've been doing uh, um, five games in ten days this year so but in a regular in a in a regular week um, there's normally a minimum of fourteen practices um, Monday through uh, Thursday. Uh, I'm a big believer in a lot of live practice, a lot, um, a lot of advantage scenarios, um, a lot of four on four, five on five. Um, so the the staple for the week is of that week. Normally, three three of those practices will end in five on five practice. 
and 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 game scenarios. Um, where where it changes is in in the beginning of the week, the four on four, five on five will reflect us as a team. As we build towards the end of the week, the four on four and five on five will reflect more of the opposition or nuances of their defense or offense. Mm. How we would cover them and how they would cover us. Um, there's normally uh, two or three uh, individual practices. That, uh, this year, we aspirationally what I wanted to do was make it more position specific. So the interiors would would lift as a group and uh, do their skill development as a group, and the perimeters would do the same. Right. Well, Does that make sense? And they yeah, they yeah, flip so. they flip flop in the morning, so that's that's three mornings a week. And um, a lot of the a lot of the uh, preparation in terms of the scout is done in the week, and that that's published normally midweek. That's on an online medium, um, as is as is all the film, the individual scout and the, the team scout. Um, my priority my priority normally is on court um, and and ensuring that the team sees, feels and understands what 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 they're trying to do uh, as a general rule and try and get to a point where they are contributing to the solutions. So if I'm, you know, in, in the last stages of the week, if, if we're walking through Plymouth and I've said, I think we want to switch this or this is the best coverage for this player, I like to see, see them play it out. Mm. And you can normally tell whether players are going to go with this or not. You know, like you've been there before. Do you, yeah, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's actually sometimes better than an hour and a half of film because if if they don't believe it, if yeah. they don't trust it, you're going to have a problem. No, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah you know, you know what I mean. So that that's yeah. kind of how how I approach things. Great, that's fantastic. Um, very quick uh, talk or a, a talk on. Uh, British coaching and, uh, you know, this word, the coaching fraternity, you know, what's, what's your thoughts and your experiences and, you know, how do we improve upon it? You know, what, what, what's, what's uh, your thoughts here on that, on that situation? Uh, I knew that, I knew this question was coming. So I, um, I don't genuinely believe we have a coaching fraternity. Because mm. I'd be lying to you if, if, if I, I said otherwise, I think there's pockets of people that trust each other and that lean on each other and that challenge each other to develop. But in terms of nationally, I wouldn't suggest we've got a coaching fraternity. Um, I think the talent, the coaching talent uh, that sits domestically is a lot better than people think. I don't think we tell enough positive stories about one another. Uh, I think there's a lack of trust uh, in the fraternity in a way. And I, I, I don't know what that's born of, you know, but a fraternity suggests to me that, that we're all looking in the same direction, wanting to genuinely improve the situation that we're in and that we're happy to see people succeed. And I don't know if that, that is true here. You know, I think there's, like I say, there's groups, 
that, that that will work together. But there's always like an underlying I don't know an underlying theme that 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 that, that stops us or barrier that stops us from making the steps forward that we should because. Do you think that that's because um, we don't have, uh, you know, a coaches association or more importantly, we don't ever, we're never ever together all in one go in one place? Yeah, I mean, the the easiest way to look at it is, you know, what, what do other federations do? What do other countries do? There's at least one hoop summit a year where the coaching fraternity can be together. There is normally a coaching association. Um, but there has to be value in, in what that hoop summit looks like. There has to be value in what the association offers. So, you know, a lot of the guys that you've had on the podcast, and rightly so, have championed the BCA. You know, I, I've still got an orange Nike clipboard. I've still got your notes, Laszlo's notes. Yeah, you know, and... I just think there's a, I don't know, maybe a lack of willingness to understand that those environments are going to make you better. Mm. You know, they are going to give you information and you can take it or leave it. But actually the most powerful things about those, those associations or these hoop summits is, is you get to network, you sit down and talk with four other people on a subject or five other people on a subject or somebody presents a, a topic or an idea to you and you can take it or leave it. Yeah. Well, I also think that, um, uh, you know, any of those, any clinic situation or, or you know, um, like you say, a summit or something, um, you get to know people in a certainly a different way you know if you just compete against someone um you know you don't really know what they're doing in practice or um you can only guess and then suddenly you don't also realize their circumstances and i think that you know i've been at some places and um suddenly spoke to someone you know outside of the the clinic or wherever it is and you start to lie wow you know it's a really interesting person you know and then you become emotionally attached to that person and you want to you want them to see them to see them succeed so i mean we we do miss that connectivity um in a in what would be more of a relaxed setting it's not a formal setting i mean that's something we're we're, we're missing the trick on and absolutely and i think also um you ascend too quickly in in the in the British basketball coaching fraternity. So, you know, you almost it's almost assumed that that, that you're a coach when you walk away with a certificate, you know, yeah. or because it's emblazoned on a on a polo shirt. Yeah. And and it's it's almost I've got my ticket, I'm good to go. Well, no. Your ticket was for the door. Yeah. Your ticket was for entrance. Now, 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 let's go to work. You know, and um, I think, unfortunately, we're uh, as a sport, we have professional aspirations but amateur sensibilities. And until that changes, we're going to have a lot of issues. You know, in other countries the best coaches are working with the youngest age categories 
or there's great coaches working across the age categories. Sure. They they don't they they don't just want to do an RPC or an Aspire, and the next year they're a national teams coach. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 and that that's quite. I'm, I feel quite strongly about this because I think we should be developing experts in community basketball. I think we should be developing experts in the development domain. So, you know, and, and I think we should be developing experts in the performance domain. And then above that, that's when it's elite. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got all those phases correct, if you've significantly developed enough individuals that are passionate and have a desire simply to deliver at that level, then you're going to build a critical mass of uh, players you know, that actually are arriving at an age and stage with a level of competency, you know. And and the other thing with that is, is you know, that's where that's where a, a, a real coach in fraternity would come from, where people actually recognise the relevance of a coach working at those levels, mm. not looking down on them, no. you know, actually understanding that they're fundamental in developing um a performance pathway because you ain't you ain't going to get elite kids you're not going to get performance kids without somebody walking into a school and giving a child you know um the enjoyment of the game first mm. and giving them aspirations and giving them physical literacy for that sport yeah you know it's <laughs> yeah. no it's absolutely true yeah and also, um, my last point on that is uh, having the expertise um, to be able to assess these, you know, talented young players that could, that have some characteristics that could play. I mean, we want to broaden the base. That's a thousand percent. But we also need some expertise when they go into certain schools and they see a kid. Um, it's funny, you know, I have always a funny story that when I was in Glasgow, um, there was a six foot four kid at 12 years old. And I, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, I went to the Federation. I went to everywhere I could to get that kid into a basketball club. And as Kieran told me, they don't, he doesn't think he ever got that opportunity. That kid, you know, would have been six, eight, six, nine. He would have just been a beast, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, he was like, uh, um, had some African heritage as well. And, you know, you could just see athletically, he was incredible. And he was playing in a basketball tournament and he was, you know, enjoying the, joined the, you know, the whole process, you know, and, and there we are, we lost the, lost an ability to get a kid. So it's crazy. Um, let's get three quick questions um, to finish it up with favorite all-time basketball coach. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, Bob Hurley, senior. Okay. 100%. Right. Yeah, that's the second person that said that. It was great. Um, favorite uh, drill that you run um, now so, uh, or in the past? Yeah. Uh, we we run a lot that's uh, half court defense with transition, and I use it every week. And we can put limits offense in, we can put lessers offense in, but always we always reward the defense plus. They accrue points for different things. So for the rebounding, for the deflection, for the stop. And the guys like it. It's competitive. Um, some of them try to cheat the rules, but it, it's, it's always gone, gone down well. 
Great. Okay. Love that. Um, and then lastly, what's your favorite go-to saying or statement that maybe the players are here every single day or week? Uh, I mean, I, I, there's a lot, I'm a big talker, so, and they don't like all the big words, but um, I, I think I've, I've, said, I've said this before, but I like it in the, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take, you know, and I used to have it on a, on a no fear t-shirt that I got on my first trip to America. Yeah. And then I think it, it's true. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young people uh, that find a reason not to do something rather than the reason to do something. And sometimes you've got to be able to just take a chance on something, you know, speak, speak to someone, be brave enough to, to, to travel, be brave enough to ask the question. You know? Coach, um, as usual, we could go on forever. Um, you know, I know this has been one of the toughest seasons you've ever coached in with this COVID season. Um, you know, you're still there. You've got a real chance in these playoffs. Um, you know, I wish you success there. And I know that, you know, you're in such a great situation. I think that you've got, you know, the real ability to, to grow the program even bigger than what it is at this moment. And uh, I just wish you success for all these, uh, for the playoffs and all these future years coming. Thank you, Coach. Thank you for your support as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so please like, subscribe, and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.